Welcome to another edition of the Arantia Radio Podcast. My name is Jim Watkins, your host, where we talk about the fifth epical revelation. My guest this time up is Teresa Marks. She lives in the northwest Oregon area of the United States, and she's a prolific musician and an ardent student of the Arantia book, and quite a prolific writer as well. That's how I came across her work. One of her writings had to do with a unique concept I think you will appreciate hearing about. It's called the Spiritual Bill of Rights. Teresa also shares her experience with seeking truth and desires to help others on the same path. So we'll get underway with the conversation on the Rancher Radio podcast. And by the way, there's a, she not only brings, but by the way, she not only brings her ideas, but her music performance as well. She is a self-proclaimed spiritual rights activist, a trained spiritual director, which we'll get into, also the author of A Spiritual Bill of Rights for Humanity, which we'll also talk to her about. She arrived at her calling to be a spiritual director with, after a long healing process from the hurt she experienced during her 38 years in institutional religion. We're going to cover a lot of stuff having to do with this. Now, she left her native religion in 2004 and she went through a 23-year deconstruction and reconstruction process, which included explorations of many diverse spiritual paths. And then, lo and behold, in 2013, ladies and gentlemen, she was introduced to the Arantia book by her late husband, Bruce Porter, who was, by the way, former president of the Arantia Association U.S. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to meet him. And there's so much more about this woman. I'm telling you, she has got... I, I am shameful. I am humbled by her coming on this program. And she's a wonderful musician, and I'm so envious because I love music and I have no talent. <laughs> so I've tried, let me tell you. <laughs> and so it's a good thing my parents told me that I might have convinced myself I was really good and tried to get on a talent show. So, But anyway, Teresa, it's good to have you here. And I want to talk about a lot of things. First of all, mm-hmm. how did you find out, and what was your original thought about the Orange Book when you first read it, when you first were introduced to it? Oh, my gosh. Well, of course, I, I met, uh, when I met Bruce, he told me about it. That was the first I ever heard of it. And he, he, he always told me, well, it's not, it's not a big issue for me if you never feel drawn to read it and so but but we were around a lot of urantia book readers and so i was um you know just exposed to all the urantia book jargon you know like thought adjuster and planetary prints and all that stuff and and finally three years down the road in 2013 um i finally picked up the book and I started reading, I think it was like the, the paper on, you know, Adam, the default of Adam and Eve and some of those things. And and I was just kind of like, hmm, I'm not sure about this. You know, it, it almost sounds like a strange version of a fairy tale or something. Yeah. <laughs> but then I got to the thought adjuster papers and the beautiful, you know, writing about how we all have this, this, um, indwelling spirit you know this this fragment of the true god in us and that and that we at some day we will fuse with that spirit and that just touched me to the core and uh and after that point i just kind of like i just thought you know this 
this is true. This this book is true. <laughs> There's something. It has that quality, right? I had a friend yeah, once. It does. I yes. intru- I introduced the book to, and there aren't that many people that are receptive to it. At least that's been my experience. But like you, they read the thought adjuster part, and bam, they they were sold. It just it touched mm-hmm. them in a certain way, you know. So for me, it Absolutely. was paper one fifty five in the second discourse on religion. But I want to get into your so so you found the book. Uh, you're with your husband. Uh, are were you living in in Oregon at that time, or were you living in Chicago? Where were you in your life when you? When yeah, you... yeah. I was in Oregon, and uh, we actually uh, co uh, helped to run the Kindred Spirits Retreat Center in Eugene, Oregon area for um, several years together, and um, and that was a wonderful adventure and. Of course, it started um, as a uh, Urantia, Urantia-led um, retreat, but then we um, we branched out into other uh, other retreats as well. So we, Bruce and I, just basically provided the space to host uh, spiritual retreats of different kinds. Um, yeah, so I was there. Well, I think learning and t- talking to other people. Did you find anything that was common about? Some of the folks that you found were reading the Arantia book, any commonalities of experience? Um, I mean, yeah, definitely, because those are the those are the folks that are on that real journey. I mean, um, a lot of them, like me, I think were were hurt by religion, either that or they were just questioning the religion they grew up with, and they started on the search and. And they were, uh, you know, blessed enough to find this this revelation. So um, it's definitely, <clears throat> we're all truth seekers, I think. Yeah, no, I know. I, I actually asked for it. I said, I, I, I'm, I was 19 and I said, I'm ready. I, I was tired of looking. I got, you know, I was talking, like you, you know, I, I talked to somebody and they were into Ekinkar or somebody who was a Buddhist and, I dated a woman who was a Baptist, and, and I went to church, and there, there was just something that wasn't a complete picture for me, and I'm saying this because mm-hmm. I think we all have that sort of common, we're looking for the truth, where is it? And I just, I put it before God, and I said, whatever it is, let me know. And then two years later, I literally stepped into it, and it was an amazing thing. But uh, this isn't about me, this is about you. So you're, do you consider mm-hmm. yourself still a, what you would call, call a Christian? Um, I, um, I like to call myself a follower of Jesus. Okay. Because there's, there's so much, um, unfortunately, there's so much negative baggage around the term Christian. And some of that still kind of touches me and the, the um, you know, bad experience I had with my, and it was a Christian religion, you know, that I grew up in. Um, and so I like to, I like to avoid that, especially in talking to other folks who are healing from their own bad experience with religion. So, but, but I like to say I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, I and say the, that the, too. The, I'm a Jesusonian. Yeah. And people look at yeah. me and go, well, isn't that the same thing? And I say, oh no, if you only knew. So uh, mm-hmm. let's talk about that because that is something in, in, in not only this discussion, but how are people damaged by religion? Wow. Well, um, you know, a lot of different ways, but I, 
I thought maybe I'd just kind of share sort of my personal story with it. Um, because so I, I grew up in a strict religion that I would I would call kind of a high control religion with lots of lots of rules, lots of obligations. And my my family was very loving, but they were very devout. I was well indoctrinated into this. Um, I didn't have any, you know, thoughts or, you know, um, problems with that until I hit like age 20 and I had my very first relationship with, you know, with the boyfriend and he happened to be not religious as well. And so when, when we became intimately involved, he had no problems with that, but I was like, you know, extremely uh, guilt ridden. And my religion basically told me that I was going to hell for that. Um, and so finally it was, it ended up being a long-term relationship we we finally married after five years and then after we got married my religion told me that i was going to hell for using birth control <laughs> so um and so basically for about 12 years of my life um i was absolutely convinced that if i accidentally died i would suffer eternal punishment that is what i believed and i had that there were a lot of um negative effects uh in my life with that i had i did have nightmares sometimes i would have panic attacks and the stress of that definitely i know it definitely contributed to an eating disorder that i developed during my 20s and 30s that it was kind of a process to climb out of that but i finally did so there, there, there's a lot of different things that you know, can um, can develop with this uh, kind of trauma, really, because the, these days there is a, a word for it. Therapists are now calling this religious trauma. And um, I don't think I like that it's, word. It's, I don't like that phrase. It makes it sound like religion as a whole is a bad thing. But yet I understand what you're saying. Uh, was there any point where you felt like, OK, well, I'll just walk away from my religion? Well, not for many years, because um, so what happened was finally our marriage hit a crisis point. And I knew that I needed God back in my life to uh, to able to heal the mess of my life. Right. And so I, I, I reconciled with my church uh, and then I became like really obsessively devout. I mean, I was spending two or three hours a day sometimes in church. And the reason for that was mostly because I was still afraid to death of, of messing up, accidentally messing up and going to hell. Um, and but but through that time, you know, that I that I was doing all that in, uh, intensive prayer, I actually did um, develop a real relationship with with the real god right not the judgmental god that my religion told me about and and through that i realized that god was was kind of telling me hey you actually don't need your religion to have a real relationship with me um you can do this without religion um and so so that's the way that that began the uh my 20-year deconstruction and reconstruction process where I, I explored a lot of different things and, um, and eventually, thank God, um, was led to the Urantia book. So 
yeah. You know, there's uh, yeah. there's that that feeling. I know. I I don't. I, I've always been a rebel anyway, so it didn't matter. You know. Mm-hmm. To me, it was God. You made me this way, so <laughs> you know it's just as much as your fault as it is mine. I mean, that was always my <laughs> attitude, right? But uh, uh-huh. I always had a. I don't even know where it came from, but I always had the most love and admiration for Jesus. To me, he was the gar- he was the smart guy, and and without knowing much about the Bible, uh, I, I just it was always a, a very fine idea in my mind, and I had no idea where it came from until I came across paper 155 in the Arantia book where Jesus is talking about the discourse on religion. And his my mm-hmm. most favorite quote is that, to a man who has God in his heart, all things are spiritual. And I'd never heard mm-hmm. it put that way before. And he was, it was just, and I know that you mentioned in, in, in some of our communications about the importance of that area. So, so what was it like uh, what, was there a feeling of spiritual liberation when you discovered the Urantia book? Like, oh, I'm home. This is where. Uh, Explain that oh. process to me. Uh, uh, we're going to skip by the deconstruction and we'll talk yeah. about the reconstruction. And so, sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and I was already kind of on a on a reconstruction process, you know, a few years before I saw found the Urantia book. But it, it, once I read that part in the adjuster papers that you get to fuse with this fragment of God, it was just mind-blowing for me. It was, I just felt like, wow, this is more incredibly wonderful than I could have ever imagined. Because I had, you know, I, I did start growing a real relationship uh, with God in while I was in uh, you know, the old-fashioned religion I was in. Um, and I had a, a very um, strong uh, desire for worship, right? And that was just like, it, it blew that whole idea of worship out of the water. It was like, you get to actually fuse with it. And, and after that, I was just like, this thing has got to be real because this is just strikes such an amazing deep chord in me. Um, and I, you know, just kind of reading through other parts of the book, it's like, nobody could make this up. I mean, it's like 2,000 pages. How could anybody, with the consistent messages it has and everything, how could anybody just sit here and make this up? So um, that, it became really clear to me that that was, it was the truth. So Can I, can we go in the direction of what happened to your husband, your late husband, Bruce? Sure. Because I'm sure yeah, well, that might, might must have been a devastating blow. Here you are. You're in a new relationship. You've you've rediscovered, rekindled your. You got the Urantia book with your life experience, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. this happens. What happened? Yeah. Well. Um. Gosh. He he had a chronic illness that really wore him down. Um. For about three or four years, he was going downhill, and finally, what what um in october 2020 he died of a, a brain aneurysm um and um that must have been tough so, yeah it was yeah it was sad but 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 at the same time i knew he wasn't uh, over those three years he just went downhill so much that he wasn't the same person and i was i was already grappling with it and in in a grieving process with that so and and i i miss him 
you know, of course, uh, especially um, uh, that he was a rancher book reader and we would have had so much to, <laughs> to share yeah. now. Um, but I uh, miraculously found um, a wonderful man just two months after Bruce died. And uh, his name's Gary, and we've been married for three years now. And he lost his wife of 37 years from colon cancer just within one month of when I lost Bruce. Oh, my. And Yeah, and we, we found each other online um, on, um, on Christian Mingle, actually. And I knew that, you know, I needed another, you know, Jesus believer. And um, he's a, a beautiful man, a, a beautiful man of God, a, a, a committed Christian. Um, this is a, kind of a first for me because I haven't been exposed to the sort of the evangelical path, and that's where he's from. But he's he's very open-minded, though, um, because he's supportive of my, um, you know, my search with the Urantia book and my being a reader. And he's been very supportive of my uh, writing of the Spiritual Bill of Rights. And so he's not your typical evangelical yeah. Christian. Um, and, and we have, you know, it was just a real miracle, the two of us meeting. And uh, he's also an artist. So an artist and my musician. That helps. Combination. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I there's a gentleman who runs an organization called Genesis One Two Three, and uh, he's he's a he's born Jewish, he lives in Israel, but he's a Christian, and he has made it his purpose to bridge Christians and Jews. Um, I'd like to mm-hmm. form a, a, a an organization and bridge Christians with the Urantia book because I think one thing that I see over and over in, in all of my talks is that that people. It's, it's either all or nothing. If they throw out the baby with the bathwater, if they, mm-hmm. they outgrow Christianity because they think that it's, or it's the other extreme. It's only Christianity the way that the Christians define it and nothing else. And if anything, you know, like Revelations is quoted a lot, you know, beware of the false prophets. And so there's a lot of antagonism from Christians about this revelation just as there were a lot of antagonism against Jesus from the Jewish rulers of the day. And it's remarkable, mm-hmm. the similarities. And I say to my Christian friends here and elsewhere, you don't know what you're missing. And there's nothing to worry about here. This is the revelation you've been waiting for. Right. And right. so now you're going to discard it because the Bible says, beware of false prophets. Okay, that's good advice. But you you can't just discount something just because someone else told you so. And that's what they do over and over. It's very tragic. Yeah, yeah, and, and we need really their help, is. actually. We need their help. And we can actually save Christianity, I think. Because Christianity yeah. is not going in a good direction. Right? I mean, it's still right. popular, but but our institutions are, like you say, it's like I didn't realize that they, uh, they're talking about religious trauma. That makes it sound like it's a bad thing. Um, yeah, and I don't mean that because, you know, obviously religion um, has a wonderful place and there's so many gifts about each particular religion. And, and I, still, I still have good feelings about a lot of, you know, some of my religious upbringing. Um, uh, they taught me how to pray. They, they gave me, you know, my first connection to God. Um, um, but but it's, it's the authoritarian versions 
the the ones that tell you that you have to do this or else you know god will punish you you know uh, those those are the ones that that really um can hurt people um i i sat in on a, a religious deconstruction support group online this summer that um there was a gal, I think she grew up actually Jehovah's Witness, and she decided at age 15 that she was just not going to do any church-related stuff anymore. And her parents, they threw her out of the house at age 15. So mm. th- that's the kind of, when you, when people are convinced that their spiritual path is the truth, they can end up doing a lot of not good things because of that. Um, and a lot I think of guilt. What's happening? Seems to be a lot oh, of guilt. Yeah. Is, is that what a lot of the so-called trauma comes from? Um, let's go down because I do want to get to your freedom, <laughs> your spiritual bill of rights, and what you want right. to do with that. But what is what causes? What are the common traits of people who have been traumatized by bad religious experiences? What are some of the less obvious ones? Not the obvious ones, but what do we? Well. Yeah, well, there's obviously the the trauma of you know of the belief in hell that causes a lot, and then um, and and um, and also another teaching that's been really injurious has been the one that that we all have the sinful nature that we're by by nature we're sinful. You know, the, this idea of some religions call original sin um but then the other part of it too is that um and something that i actually didn't experience is that religious representatives ministers priests can actually abuse people and we've heard tons about that you know and thank god that never happened to me my my um trauma around it was only through the indoctrination and through the beliefs it wasn't actually nobody throughout whole my, my whole history with that was actually mean to me um, um but but when you put that in there too it becomes terribly you know injurious to people let me ask um, you this there's another kind of trauma that uh, is the exact opposite and these are people who are raised in atheist families, and they're taught mm-hmm. to avoid religion, to hate it, to despise it. To me, that's a form of religious abuse, because what you're doing as a parent or as a role model is you're basically indoctrinating your children to not have any recognition of the spiritual value of life, or that, that anything that, that is smells or reeks of religion must be avoided at all costs. I think that's equally traumatic, because people then right. have all kinds of problems in their life growing up and they can't reconcile because they don't have that perspective. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh yeah, I absolutely 100% agree with you um, because that's where atheism can get to be one of these authoritarian belief systems. And it's a belief system that they're, you know, when they, then they go to that um, point where they're trying to, um, you know, plummel you with their beliefs, it's it's just about as bad and and, and I would say um, probably worse because uh, I have another word for atheism and I, I like to call it meaninglessness because it, this whole world is meaningless without any, without God, without the spiritual, 
you know um so i'm totally in agreement with that yeah i would say that uh it's like telling a child uh that they were an accident right there's no reason there's no special reason you're here so don't go down that trap because that's just religious bs you know Mm -hmm. this is just a cosmic Mm -hmm. accident that to me is damaging to a human's complete worldview if they grow up thinking that nothing really matters and that we only live on in our i mean it's like oh yeah well you live on in your children well no you don't i mean that i, I mean eternal non-existence is just as frightening to me as hell in fact i think it's yeah. worse but because yeah. i want to participate so i you know without getting off track uh toxic spiritual mm-hmm. concepts what are some toxic spiritual concepts <laughs> Well, um, the three main ones that I really mentioned in my document are um, the concept of eternal punishment and the concept of a, a vengeful, wrathful God um, and and uh, <clears throat> actually the atonement um, concept. The, and the Arantia book is very clear in, in telling people that that is absolutely false. That, that God would um, would send an innocent person, you know, his son Jesus, to to die because he somehow needed to uh, pay a ransom, rectify yeah. through yeah through ransom blood sacrifice, you know, and that and um, also this idea of that we are innately sinful, that we're innately bad. Um, original sin is what some uh, religions call it, I believe, and so those are three ones that that have unfortunately become like the cornerstones of a lot of Christian theology, um, and that that is really tragic. Um, yeah, um, let's talk about so, your um, spiritual bill of rights because it's sort of what I've been mm-hmm. alluding to. So mm-hmm, you, you've mm-hmm. come up with uh, the seven spiritual rights of humanity. What are mm-hmm. they? Okay, well, I'm Did I put you on a spot there? <laughs> yeah, why don't I just, I'll just, I'll just read these for you yeah. and as, as I state them in my document. Okay. Excuse me. So number one is the right of individuals to connect directly with the creator in their own unique way is fundamental to human spirituality and should be forever protected, honored, and cherished. And number two is um, individual persons have a right to affirm their inherent goodness as beloved children of the Creator. I like that one. Um, That's a good one. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And number three, individual persons have the right to freedom from fear especially fear of false divine punishments. That's Um, one of the most original statements I've ever heard on my 60 years of living on this planet. I've never thought about that. You should have a right to not fear the angels or not fear divine punishment. I never gave that a thought until I read what you just, what you just said. Uh, Yeah. Fear is just, fear is like, it's like the opposite of love as far as what I've, have have determined you know in my search so yeah yeah so number four is individual persons have the right to embark on their own search for truth 
Number five, individual persons have the right to freedom from religious obligations. Now, what does that um, mean? What is it? Are we shirking our cosmic uh, duty here? Or how would you explain that? Well, um, what it is is that any spiritual or religious practice that you take up should be voluntary. And it should grow out of your natural um, relation, primary relationship with the creator. Um, and so if you feel led to, you know, do one, uh, one practice or another, that's a beautiful thing. And if it has meaning for you, that's a beautiful thing. But yeah. in my tradition that I grew up in, there were so many obligations and so many things that they said, you have to do this or you're going to hell. <laughs> I yeah. mean... It, it got ridiculous. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. So, yeah. so, so my Muslim yeah. friends, they say, you know, we pay, we, we we have to pray three times a day, and I say, well, why stop at three? Yeah. Why not twenty? How about twenty-three? Yeah. I, I pray every five minutes. You know. Right. 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 Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so okay. So two more of them. Number okay. Six. Individual persons have the right to access all spiritual leadership roles. Regardless of identity, um, I like that. Number seven. I like that. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because it, it it gives dignity to the person. It restores that dignity that we have a right to question. We have a right to answers. We have a right to find the answers. We have. I, I like these. These are good. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that just about any. Uh, you know, sincere Urantiabuk reader is going to like really love these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they, they are. Now, this really, last I, one you have here is a little yeah. bit controversial, but no, I want to hear I, what I you. Yeah, but go ahead and tell I everybody. That. Yeah, and I want to um, I want to address that as well. But number seven, individual persons have the right to determine their own loving and committed human partnerships. And um, what I want to stress about this is that um, relationships, as the Urantia book tells us, are the the lasting things in our lives. They are the things that have spiritual value. And we will know, you know, people in the mansion worlds that that we've had real relationships with. And if if you just um, tell a whole huge group of people that they cannot have, uh, you know, a, a, a human partnership, a marriage, basically, I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, that cuts them off from a whole huge bunch of spiritual growth that they could have in their life if they had that kind of relationship. And so what it is, it's protecting the spiritual um, growth that you can have in these relationships, which is really important. Um, and and I, I know that, that um, you know, the LGBT issues are controversial for some people. They, they aren't for me personally, because I, I you know, I feel that, um, that those folks um, have always, everybody I've met who is that way has told me that they're, um, they knew they were that way from an early age, and I can't imagine that um, that um, yeah. that God would prevent them from living their lives, and and that God would prevent them from having, you know, a loving 
um, committed relationship. I'm not talking about promiscuity. I'm not talking about you know, any of that stuff. I'm talking about monogamous, lifelong, you know, um, uh, in, in the spiritual growth that comes from that. Whoever you are, whether you you know whether mm-hmm. it's two men, two women, a man and a woman, there's a lot of spiritual growth that comes from that. And if you don't have that opportunity, then you're missing out on a huge, huge uh, bunch of spiritual growth that you yeah. could be doing. No, it's true. So, and there yeah. are there are statements, <laughs> frank statements, made in the Arantia book that very, especially in the in the marriage and family life. And it talks about the fact that not everybody is going to fit into these well-defined roles. There are going to be mm-hmm. exceptions to the rule, and there are, and you also have to give cordial acceptance to people uh, for being. They may not necessarily have a relationship with a, a man because of trust issues, or it could be a whole host mm-hmm. of emotional reasons why people cer- uh, seek out certain partnerships. But all partnerships that are fundamentally rooted in spiritual growth. Are, are good things. And I think that's what you're trying to say. So it, it should... Exactly, uh, that's you know. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have time? I think we could go... Uh, there was another element to your spiritual rights, Bill of Rights. Can we talk a little mm-hmm. bit about uh, just, I think, you know, maybe close this off with some ideas on what, what would be the message to our Christian brothers and sisters about getting them to see that they're going to have to make some adjustments uh, or they're going to continue to lose their impact uh, in society, which is dangerously low at this point. How do we how do we get them to come back in and, and take a, a renewed, I don't know, how would you say it, a renewed examination of what the... the for example, I, I get into conversations about people who are just so devout, and, and they to them it's important that Jesus walked on water. Okay. Mm-hmm. But to a person who isn't a Christian, you know, to, to go and say, you know, Mother Mary had a baby without, without Joseph. It was immaculate conception. These are a lot mm-hmm. of people that that's why they leave uh, Catholicism because mm-hmm. they want to believe in something, but it can't sound like science fiction. It can't sound like superstition. It can't sound like myth. So we have to separate the myth from, from Christianity and focus on the gospel, which is that we're all children of a loving father. And thereby, we're all brothers and sisters. How do we get? How do we break down those barriers between Christians and people who want to introduce them to the Arantia book? Wow, um, it's hard. It's a hard question, but I do. <laughs> I have a suggestion, though. There is this wonderful. Um, it's a Arantia-based um, learning. Uh, course materials it's called the christ experiment school of ambassadors and what it was is two uh i think it was two um uh, urantia book readers who were former jehovah's witnesses and they know their scripture big time yeah um developed a course that can help um urantia book readers um basically kind of like witness to christians and bring in um these actual spiritual truths from the Arantia book, but only using uh, 
traditional scripture. Mm-hmm. So they've gone through the scripture with a fine tooth comb and said, hey, this is a ranchable concept that we can use, that we can point out to Christians and only have to use the scripture because they aren't open to the Urantia book yet. Mm-hmm. But um, so I actually took their course and it was just amazing. And I actually, um, at the end of the course, I that's when I actually um, discerned my calling to be a spiritual director. Um, and, um, and but I would just recommend any Urantia book reader uh, to go through this course because um, it just gives you such an appreciation for the Jesus papers for one. Mm-hmm. Um, and also looking, looking at biblical scripture with new eyes and seeing, Oh, there is some real good mm-hmm. stuff in there, you know? Um, and, and I think that kind of approach is the approach that we need to our Christian brothers and sisters, because by and large, they aren't going to uh, accept the Arantia book. Yeah. Um, but if you start talking to them in this way, then there there definitely can be openings, and and there are instances when you can go in and say, "Hey, you know the stuff I've been talking to you about? Well, there's a whole book of it right here." Yeah, you right. Know? Um, right. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. Teresa, uh, so you're you're is it? I, I don't want to call you a spiritual advisor, but what, what is the <laughs> term you use? Spiritual. Director, um, spiritual director, and that's a sort of a traditional term that I think it actually grew out of Catholicism, actually. But mm. basically, it's um, it's providing a um, like a safe and sacred place for people to uh, talk about their spiritual journeys and what is you know what their relationship with God is doing, and and so I just um, sit there and listen. Um, but but listen attentively and uh, with my connection to my indwelling spirit to be constantly there asking, okay, what is it that this person might need to hear from me um, to help them on their journey? And so it's so like a spiritual counselor that. using, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can see that. And we need a lot. We need an army of those. And that I think is in line yeah. with more of the fellowships idea of the growth of the mm-hmm. Arantia book is that they had such, the brotherhood that became the fellowship was for that very purpose to bring about and train people in this generation for the fourth, you know, the, the years to come when people will be looking for something like the Arantia book and will have the answers that they need. So, well, Teresa, mm-hmm. it sure has been great uh, to talk with you uh, again. Yeah. If, if people want to find out more about you and what you do, what would be a good way for them to do that? Oh, gosh. I have a uh, website that's in the works right now. It's not going to be up probably until next week. Um, should I give you that uh, well, Sure, why not? Now? Yeah, give it. Well, okay, I'll tell you sure. what. Uh, let's do this. When it's up, send me a note, and I'll mention it, and I'll make sure that people that would, are aware of it. And then we'll have you back on again, too, to talk about it, too. So that would that be good. That would be awesome. Yeah. I wonder if I could say just one more thing, though, about where I'm kind of a vision I have for this Bill of Rights and this whole message. Okay. Um, because I um, uh, I'm have a sense, and I think it's it's my thought adjuster nudging me that that this this could be a, you know a huge message for a lot of a lot of people throughout the world. 
And um, this message is a, basically a Urantia book message. Um, and so I am hoping that um, I can get other folks, other leaders, experienced leaders and teachers in the Urantia book community to help me spread this and specifically spread the um, these principles in this document um, to especially to progressive religion, re religious and spiritual leaders um, so that they can in turn take it um, to their communities and help them, you know, see these important principles that can help uplift you know, the religious and spiritual consciousness for the world. Um, but I, so I've come up with this document and I, I'm just a really small flawed person trying to do sort of a big thing. And I would just love some help from, from those people in the Urantia book community have been in the trenches for years. I know so yeah. many of them have have devoted their lives to this. I mean, you've done a lot too, and I'm just getting started. So Anybody who has any interest in this, um, uh, go to my website when it's up, read it, um, and um, I'm also planning on recording, you know, a version of it, just reading it so people don't have to to, to read it. They could just listen to it. Okay. Um, and, and please get back to me if you have any interest, if this resonates with you. Absolutely. So. Teresa Marks in Portland, she also mentions, uh, did you mention that you play for the Portland or Opera Orchestra? And other orchestras yeah. in and around the area, and you're a resident of Salem, Oregon, which is a beautiful part of the country. I wish you luck. Mm -hmm. I'll send you prayers. <laughs> After all, you're not that far from Portland. <laughs> right. uh, and it's really good to speak with you and get to know you. And I love your spirit, and I, I look forward to having you on again when when you get the website up and talk more about your, your journey as well as your mission. So thank you, Teresa Marks, for joining me on the Arantia Radio Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for having me. This is my, my first time doing anything like this, and I really appreciate it.